All right, uh, church, let's listen to what the Word of God would say to the church. Amen? I'm going to read the first eight verses, and this is what it says. Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. And it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem was going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And from the first phrase, the gospel writer Mark starts with a heavy-hitting uh, heavy phrase, this is the beginning of the gospel. And as soon as he read that, as soon as I read what Mark said, perhaps that phrase gospel has brought up in your minds all sorts of different connotations, depending on your background, depending on your upbringing, depending on all sorts of different things. For example, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say to that? Perhaps some of you would say it's, it's an announcement or it's the message of the Bible. Maybe some of you would say it's, it's how we are forgiven of our sins. Maybe still some would say it is the message of the Bible about how we're to live our lives. Maybe still some of you would say it's, it's how we get to heaven. Maybe others would say it's about how God changes our lives. And I would say to all of you, that's correct. Kind of. In the same way that if you took a bolt from the rearview mirror of a Ford F-150 and you came up to me with that bolt and you said, this is a truck, I would say, well, yes, kind of. It's a part of a truck. In the same way, sins being forgiven, our lives being changed, God coming into this world, transforming, redeeming, renewing, uh, being told how to live, being shown what life is supposed to look like, all of those are good things and they are a part of the truck. All of them are true in the sense that they are a piece of something much larger and much bigger than maybe even we can imagine. And what Mark is saying in the first few words of this phrase is, I'm bringing you into a story that you can barely imagine. He's really borrowing this phrase from a couple places. I want to explain a couple of them to you. One is from the pagan background of Rome. The gospel, the word gospel, was actually not invented by Christians. It was a phrase that a lot of people were using during first century Rome. And it meant joyful tidings. It meant let's throw a party. 
and it was specifically associated with the cult of the Roman emperor and his birthday and his ascension to power. It meant we should have a party all across the world and proclaim joyful tidings of good news because the Caesar has been born and he's in control. In fact, the plot thickens a little bit because that first Roman emperor, Augustus, was eventually considered to be divine. And so religion and politics were infused in first century Rome. In fact, all of his kids, Tiberius and Julian, were considered to be sons of the divine, something that you would have seen inscribed on all of the coins of that day. It would say, and I quote, for example, Tiberius, the son of God, Augustus Caesar. So the gospel according to Rome was the good news that the son of God, who is Caesar, was born and has ascended to power. So I want you to imagine the jaws that would have dropped to the ground at the hearing of the first line of Mark's gospel, who said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What Mark was doing in part was he was proclaiming that there's a true king. But he wasn't just borrowing from that Roman background. He was also borrowing from the Jewish background of the Hebrew scriptures, what we commonly call the Old Testament. And he was saying the gospel is actually an ongoing story. That's why as soon as he finishes verse 1, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he instantly begins quoting the Old Testament scriptures. And he says this, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face. He'll prepare your way. He's going to have a voice like one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. See, what Mark wants us to know is that the gospel, even though the phrase might have originated in Rome, it didn't start in Rome. The gospel goes way back. The real good news goes way back in an ongoing story that was told by the Hebrew scriptures. And if you're not familiar with that story, I'll give you just a quick synopsis of what the whole Old Testament is about. It's about God who creates people in his own image, puts them in his place, with his presence underneath his rule and his blessing. That's it. It's what later authors would refer to as the kingdom of God. It's God's people in God's place, living under God's rule and his blessing. And if that were all that were to it, the Bible would be very short. But it's very long. <laughs> and it's long precisely because that story seems to be getting thwarted at every turn. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so, far, uh, so forth and, and beyond. This problem that people keep resisting God's plan, his place, his people, his rule, and his blessing. Something we call sin. And so when Mark quotes this, he's quoting specifically from a couple places, Isaiah and Malachi. And Isaiah, that specific section of Isaiah was the prophet saying to Israel, you are in exile because you keep resisting God 
But don't worry. You need to wake up and prepare the way for the Lord so his glory could be revealed. And later it's quoted in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And again, that section of scripture is the prophet saying, the Lord's messenger is coming. The Lord's messenger is coming. He's got an envoy and he's coming and he's gonna, sh he's, he's gonna show you the glory of God in the temple. And so the story from Genesis all the way through Malachi, the Old Testament, is a story of God rescuing Israel, his people, to make them a people in his presence, in his place, and under his reign and his blessing. And yet century after century after century, people are asking this question, but why is it not the way that it's supposed to be? So when Mark writes his gospel, he's writing with a specific purpose to, to say, brothers and sisters, the story is not over. I'm not writing a new story. I'm writing a sequel to a story that has been told for centuries. The story is not over. Hope is not over. And Mark is writing to show us that someone is coming to fulfill the story of Israel and for the world and to bring it to its purpose, the story of God and his kingdom. And yet even as we see that story unfold, people are asking, but where is this king? We see the hints and we see the signs and we see the glimpses of what God is doing, but where is this king? And finally on the scene that Mark is writing about, a strange character breaks the silence in order to answer this question. It's this guy named John the Baptist. Now, we did a whole sermon during Advent about John the Baptist and his perspective, but what we're seeing right now is not about John the Baptist at all. Although there would be plenty to talk about, he is a rather strange fellow. Mark chapter 1, verse 6 describes him in this way. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate bugs and wild honey. Now, that seems like a strange sentence to put in the gospel of Mark. But if you read Mark, you notice that Mark doesn't tend to mince words. He really gets to the point very quickly. So when he adds a sentence like this, you have to, you have to ask yourself, there's a reason why that would be there. If you did a little search, you'll find that that descriptive sentence actually shows up all the way back in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. John's not the only person with a leather belt and camel's hair that eats bugs. There was another guy. His name was Elijah. And he was that famous prophet in the Old Testament who kept calling God's people to come back. Come back. Come back to God. Reverse this exile. Come back to God. Use what you're going through, as unpleasant as it is, to wake up to the reality that God wants you and has a plan for you. And so John appears. And by the way, that last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, warns, or I, I, sh I should say, gives a hint to God's people that Elijah is coming back. And then hundreds of years later, this dude shows up dressed exactly like Elijah to prepare a way. Look at what it says in verse 4 through 5. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So this Elijah character shows up. He begins pointing the way. He's dunking people in the Jordan and he's building up this this anticipation of something great. If you're a Galilean person on the scene at that day, you know that your heart is now being freshly overwhelmed with hope once again. Because for four centuries, you've been under the thumb of a powerful institution. And perhaps after 400 years, Maybe it's a later generation in your long family, but after 400 years, you might be growing tired at this point. You know what the Bible says? You know how the story goes? You know what the good news is? But 400 years later, you're like, I don't even know if I believe this anymore. Have you ever felt this way? You know all the right answers. You know that God is good. You know God is somehow here. You know what the right thing to say is at the right time, but you're also tired, worn out, beat up, exhausted, maybe even confused. And if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone. It's probably a lot of us here just like that. But even we're not alone because that's probably what God's people felt like centuries ago. And like a light breaking into the darkness of their despair. John the Baptist, Elijah 2.0, shows up on the scene to say, hope is not over. But he adds a twist to the story. Because at this point, people are crowding around John. They're like, I think this is the guy. Is this the guy? I think this is the guy. certainly dresses quirky. I think he might be that charismatic personality that all of us have been waiting for. And John throws a twist into the story and he says, it's not me. The king has arrived, but it's not me. Look at verse seven through eight. And John preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is unbelievable. It's as if John the Baptist, who's a pretty popular grassroots, charismatic leader at this point, is saying, bro, you think I'm special? The guy who's coming after me is on a different level. And as if to express that by way of an uh, an example, he says, I baptize you in water. The most I can do is sprinkle water on you, dunk you in that nasty Jordan River. But the guy who's coming after me, he's going to dunk you in the presence of the Most High God. We are not the same. This is apples to oranges. The Messiah is altogether different, and he's coming. In fact, he's already here. The message of John the Baptist, the message of Mark, is unequivocally, unambiguously, 
that the king of the universe has arrived in our neighborhood, and that king is Jesus Christ. Could I get an amen from somebody in a Staples parking lot? God has come to earth to be crowned king in Jesus. And the gospel of Mark is the story of that. So to take it full circle to all of our questions, what is the gospel? Is it the forgiveness of sins? Is it how I can get into heaven? Is it how I can make my life right? Is it how God loves me? Yes to all of those things, but that's a bolt on the rear view mirror of your Ford F-150. What is the Ford F-150? What is the full picture of the gospel? Mark tells us it's the good news that Jesus Christ is king. And out of that, the king forgives sins. Out of that, the king mends broken hearts. Out of that, the king heals the broken and the sick. Out of that, the king renews and restores things that have been broken from the personal and the emotional to the institutional. Out of that, God, the king, is making all things new. But just like a bolt in the rearview mirror of your car is really just a part of this bigger, more beautiful, broader thing, so all of those things flow under the umbrella of this single unifying truth. The best news any of us have ever heard in our life, God has become king of the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to address a question that perhaps you're asking against the backdrop of that statement. If he's king, then why all of this? Because the last year has been kind of a doozy. Could I get an amen to that? Amen. I saw a meme the other day that said, you know, I'm seven, seven days into 2021, and I would like to request uh, a refund on my subscription. <laughs> We've seen a lot of things. There were bad things in 2019, 2018, 1965. 1874, there's been bad things all the time. And the universal question on people's heart is, if Jesus is king, why is there still suffering? And now Christians, perhaps, are asking that more than ever before on the heels of a worldwide global pandemic. Things like racism, families being torn apart at the seams. And now more recently, with the storming of the, the most powerful building on the planet, the Capitol, we're watching this stuff unfold before our very eyes, asking maybe some real valid and honest questions. How is Jesus king? If all of this is stu stuff is happening before my eyes. And to that I want to say, again, that Mark is telling a story, a true story, of how this Jesus, the new and better king, is breaking into a chaotic world that's maybe resisting his kingship on a mission to make all things new. 
And if you're asking that question, it's not the first time somebody has asked that because when Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago, he came being proclaimed as king and his disciples were disappointed at his performance as well. John chapter 7, even his brothers left him. They wanted a king that would ransack Rome, that would elevate them to a place of authority, that would spread the kingdom in their way through violence and greed. And when he didn't do that, when he said, I'm, I'm here to go to the cross, even his own brothers left him. Religious authorities rejected him. The world mocked him. Because he is king, he just doesn't do things the way that we expect kings to do things. While the rest of us might dig our fingers into any area of control that we can muster, Jesus relinquishes and surrenders his life. When we protect and defend ourselves, Jesus gives his life as a ransom for many. When we fight and point fingers and try to wrestle control from others, try to prove that we are right, Jesus goes like a sheep before the shearers, his mouth silent. He dies on a cross, and that's how he proclaims his royalty. Doesn't make sense. And yet the Bible unequivocally states that is how he wins everything. Paul would later go on to say in the book of Philippians, it's through this humility, through this act of self-sacrificial love on the cross, that he is proclaimed the King of kings and Lord of lords, at whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, not everybody is doing that. But he's bringing the world in that direction. And in the meantime, he's left a few people in a parking lot at an old office uh, supply store to learn how to follow this king as his people, in his place, under his rule, and with his blessing and presence. Now, as I wrap this up, I want to ask you a couple questions. I want to invite you at whatever stage of your spiritual journey, some of you maybe have been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Others, maybe you're not even sure. Maybe you're like, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I think I am. I don't know if I am. I want all of you to renew your sense of engagement with the king. And it starts like this. You just, you got to get to know him. If you have a friendship or a relationship with somebody that is important to you, it always starts at a basic level of relationship. I want to get to know this person. And so I want to invite some of you to begin to open up the scriptures, specifically a gospel. Open up the gospel of Mark with us as we go through it. And instead of analyzing it, instead of trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong, I want you to shift your perspective on the gospel of Mark and just allow yourself to get swept up in the story. The story about Jesus, the king. 
Everything Mark writes is to show you that Jesus is the promised king. And so my question to everyone here today is, do you know him? I know you know a lot of things. I know you know a lot about masks and COVID. I know you know a lot about politics. I know you know a lot about your business. I know you know a lot about relational brokenness. I know you have a lot of things in your mind that you know. I know your mind is filled with a lot of news. And that's great. But my question today is, do you know the king? I know you know stuff about other people. I know you know a few things about the racial unrest. I know you have some opinions about the way the government is operating right now. I'll bet you have some opinions about some people in office right now. I don't care about any of those things. What I want to know is, do you know Jesus? And not in the prepackaged way that comes to us through the media, but have you opened this thing just with the childlike intent of saying, I just wanna, I just wanna learn about this guy. Because if he is who he says he is and he's doing what he claims to do, this is a game changer. I just want to be introduced to that person. So I want to invite you to open up the Gospel of Mark. And even if you've read the Bible a hundred times, I want you to start fresh like a kid with the sole purpose of introducing yourself to Jesus. The things he said, the things he did, the things that he loved, the things that he cared about. The second thing I want you to do is to worship him. We're going to do that in one way, the way that we're accustomed to on Sunday mornings. One is by going through the scriptures. The other is through song. We're going to sing a few songs together as a church in this parking lot. And if you're wondering why we're doing that, it's because we are giving joyful tidings Because we are happy that a king has been born. And as a group of people who have been saved by grace, we understand and are proclaiming through our song, Rome is not my kingdom. And Caesar is not my king. Jesus is. And every word that leaves our mouth in song, every word that leaves our mouth in prayer, every word that leaves our mouth in praise and thanksgiving, is to the joyful tidings of a people that have been saved to be in his place and under his rule. And so let's sing together. Lastly, after that first song, I'm going to come back up and invite you to take communion. For those of you who have followed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and Master and King, bring us into that form of worship. But right now, let's just deal with the simple basics. Is that okay? Let's get to know him again. At whatever stage in your life that you're at right now, let's start back and get to know him. I'm going to ask Robert and the rest of the, the team to come up here as we, we sing. And I just want to pray over you as we do this, as we respond. And if you would, just allow your heart to receive this prayer as your own. God, we hear the the claim of 
Mark as he writes the gospel according to Mark that begins with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we come perhaps confessing that there's a lot going on in our minds right now, a lot going on in our lives right now. There doesn't seem to always be a lot of room for the things that matter. And maybe even in the past, there hasn't been room for you. And right now, I want to pray over my brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, strangers, neighbors, people in this lot that just kind of happened in. And I just want to pray that you would do what's so often so difficult for us to do for ourselves, that you would make room, that you would clear the noise for just a moment so that we might see you and hear you and follow you. And to ask this personal question, who are you? And what does that mean for me today? May you give us those answers today and may you overwhelm us with your spirit as we respond to the gospel. In Jesus' name.